0: (laughs) (laughs) No mercy. Yes. (laughs) So here we are at the Beyond the Backlot podcast and we are more than thrilled to welcome to the podcast after a great round of feature content with none other than Martin Cove. Martin, thank you for coming to the studio and joining us after, you know, thoroughly kicking my butt uh, in the dojo. <laughs> <laughs> that was fun actually. The that dojo was it was a guess. I
1: mean, I didn't I didn't know. I hadn't been back there in a long time. And to be back there with my son and you all knowing everything. <laughs> you know, I mean, you guys knew everything. And uh, yeah, you do a movie there, and I think I was, I had a 102 fever when I was marching up and down the the aisles there, and you know, Mercy is for the week and do you have a problem, Mr. Lawrence, and whatever. You know, and um, those, it brought back some good memories. There's a lot of photographs that I have uncovered since that day, old production shots that were mm-hmm. not, per se, on billboards, but they were Great moments, mm-hmm. you know,
0: John Avelson talking to my parents, my parents came and... To be there was one thing, how we were able to, just to land the location and really to to land you there in really almost a 24-hour period because, yeah. it, you know, by the way, you know, how these things work, oh, so-and-so knows so-and-so, so, well, I know, I know, Marty, so you give him a call. And, so, and before we knew it, within 24 hours, we're on the phone with you.
2: Hey. Uh-huh.
0: And then here you are walking into it. So it was very, I mean, it was was kind of all amazing how it all came together. And then you were such a great sport to just give us all the time in the world to take us to a place that I don't think anyone really gets to go. Like to be in a place of iconic movie history and then to be there with somebody who hadn't been there in a while and just to kind of in real time relive it. And then I said, say to relive a a pretty awesome scene. Thank you.
1: (laughs) Well, you know, all of us would put our own take on that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know when I go every year, I go where Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid used to ride. a Place called the Hole in the Wall, and it's in Casey, Wyoming. And I've been doing it since eighty three with just a lot of you know ranchers and some actors. And and even when I go there, I still have my soundtrack. I still, even though I'm in the West and I'm in Monument Valley or I'm in you know Casey, Wyoming up there. I still play my soundtracks, you know, mm-hmm. you know, two movies that had, you know, my Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, my, you know, but I'm already in the environment. I'm in the real West, but the image is not complete mm-hmm. until we put our own take on it, you know, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, and our own shift into it. And so I listen to Ennio Morricone music as I'm galloping through the canyons, and I feel like, you know, I feel like Clint or Eli yeah. Wallach or whatever. You know, and it's it's what I'm
0: sure you guys did when you went there. <laughs> you know, that's great. You know? Yeah, it's exactly. You're right. Cause it puts you in it. It's a different, like you said, a shift. It puts you in it and then you get to experience. That's really a, yeah, yeah that's a really great way of looking at it. Yeah.
2: I think to this day, I mean, anytime I drive through the mountains, uh, it's Lassen Mohicans. I put that score on, and it
1: just trans—you know—transports me. You know what I mean? Uh, that's that's an incredible score. Incredible. Uh, we we were in North Car- North Carolina last summer, and I you know I I brought last of the hekins because I knew it was shot right within forty five minutes of where we were, and we went into town. I think it was Ashland, uh, up there in North mm-hmm. Carolina. Yeah. And there, I, in a mercantile store, and there, the guy has a poster mm. of Last of the Mohicans, and I said, "Wow!" I said, "What? What? You know, what was your involvement in that?" He says, "I was the location um, liaison." I said, "This is a long guy had long gray hair, and you know." Mm. And he says, "Yeah, I bumped into this director, and he wanted to see one or two locations, and then I found this other location where we sh- they shot the finale, mm-hmm. along you know, which was originally fenced off. Because mm. I asked him all kinds of questions because I wanted to go to an area that gorgeous, mm. and he said it was all fenced off. People, you know, they had a lug for six miles, camera equipment, everything, all along that ridge, and wow. there was a fence there because it was a cliff, dangerous, yeah, six miles of a cliff, you know, and that and the, you know, the more difficult and the more edgy it was, the more Michael Mann wanted to use it. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's a great film. It's a great soundtrack. But I mean, it's how, interesting you mentioned that because I was just amazed. How, how cool you ran into him! That's so I went random. To this guy, you know, ah. and and it was. And then that night, the night before, we watched the movie. Mary hadn't seen it. My lady Mary, she hadn't seen it, so we watched it. And it's so romantic. It, it's such a oh, simple, it's, great story. Oh, you know, amazing. Yeah. It's fantastic top 10 for me
0: So one of the things we like to do on the podcast is anytime we have a special guest is just kind of give us a little bit of how you ended up in this world of of storytelling and acting and uh, and how You found yourself uh, In front of the camera at some point, you know, was it a dream? Was it happenstance? Was it an accident? Was it something you sought after? I mean, we know I mean you're originally from from Brooklyn, right from New York So how does a how does a kid growing up in Brooklyn find himself in LA shooting movies? Dreams. Yeah.
1: It's all dreams. How do you guys find yourself doing this with yeah. me? Yeah, right.
0: It's dreams. So it is and we're I'm hearing this more and more when we interview and, and talk with people, but your I mean, just your acting story. I mean, it's that's there's depth there. Like, I mean, you you put the work in you know from uh, from high school all the way that you were working like you were and you were seeking roles that would challenge you right i mean that's kind of when i hear you say streetcar or you, george bernard shaw you're talking about these are you don't you don't find a lot of that on wikipedia or something you know <laughs> i've been hearing some of this for the first time it's pretty that's pretty amazing
1: wait well, you know there's no money in doing plays right and your agent rarely will get you you know into a play or make make casting known to you about a play but to me, any time an actor comes up and seeks says, "Oh, Mr. Cove, you made it," and I, it's just a ridiculous statement. You made it. There's mm-hmm. no making it. Right. I don't think I've made it. You know, John Creese, Canyon Lacy, all that stuff. It, it's nonsense. And you know, I haven't made anything. The point is, you want to become an established actor and a mm-hmm. good actor. Yeah. And and I think that um, you know. Well, what you try to do is be as versatile as you can. I mean, having worked now with William Sadler and and Stephen Lang, let me tell you, I mean, I'm like a beginner. <laughs> you know, these these characters were brilliant. I mean, they go back to doing Shakespeare in the Park and yeah. Pap and all all the stuff that I wanted to do. That when I auditioned, I never got the part. Right? They got those parts. Yeah. And you know they. You know, they were just doing wonderful things. And we all came up from the same era. I'm probably a little earlier than they are, but you know, they got a chance to do a lot of Broadway. And, mm-hmm. do, and I did some, but not a lot. Not as much as they did, because I left. But they're consummate actors, and, and you know, wonderful, wonderful people. And I love working with guys from New York, because mm-hmm. it's all about me. And most of the time, you don't get a chance to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, anytime, like I think I'm going back to get this award at the Hoboken Film Festival, and it's really, I don't care about the award so much, I really have some excuse to go back and see To Kill a Mockingbird. Oh man, mm, yeah! So I, my cousin got tickets, and oh, she's wow. joining us, and you know, I'll take Mary, and nothing's better than going to New York Theater. I'm
0: telling you, it's yeah. the best have you seen it i haven't seen to kill a Mockingbird, but when you talk about going to new york to see theater uh i don't know if you remember this several years ago god of carnage came out with jeff daniel's yeah, of course, and, of course. and uh i saw it oh uh, yeah uh i'm i, I keep want to say tony soprano but i uh gandalfini uh, yeah gandalfini yeah. so we got we ended up second row ah. and it was the single most moving piece of live theater i had ever been a part of no intermission i mean it was it just was gut pounding acting just, and and again, it's, I'm like, he's, the spit is flying off <laughs> of us from these people because they were so, I mean, it was brilliant. It was hands yeah. down one of the best plays I've ever seen. So you get to LA and uh, I, I'm, 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 I'm sure it's not the first thing out the gate, but uh, you get some, you, you know, you get some parts, some pretty, pretty, well-known spots, Gunsmoke, you got to, <laughs> right? Yeah,
1: sure. <laughs> I love Gunsmoke.
0: Yeah, and you're already a Western fan. I mean, you're, we always find that on this show, super fans show up, and we find out, you know, and you're kind of a Western super fan, you're pretty much a super fan of all things, great storytelling and movies anyway, but, so you do Gunsmoke, you get some other shows, but Cagney and Lacey becomes this, it becomes a thing, you know? And I was curious, what, uh, this was a show in the early '80s with two female leads as detectives. It was different for that time, right? Oh, of course. I mean, audiences were not ready.
1: American audiences were not ready for that. English audiences. We were the hottest show in England. Really? Yeah. And, and the joke of it was, I had gone. I went to do a movie there. That's how I know. Mm-hmm. And I was like Robert Redford there, you know? <laughs> and Victor is Becky here, Robert Redford there, you know, and and like. You, you know you're doing this show and you want more in this show you want more stuff and you talk to the producers Barney Rosenzweig. who's a wonderful man and um, you know you want it's called you know my character I think I think when he when they canceled the show after six years and my character's name was Victor it was Becky after they car- um, canceled the show I got a letter from the producer and he said just when I was going to call the show Cagney, Lacey, and his Becky, oh. <laughs> you know? So he sent he sent that letter to me, you know, and um, I was always wanting more to do, you know? Mm-hmm. And because I got a lot of fan mail. And oh, sure. as that character, you know, he was the TNA of the show, you yeah. know? Mm-hmm. So, you're the I, eye candy. Yeah, I was the eye, eye candy. candy. <laughs> and, I, and, I, and, I, and I, you know, I, I really wanted a lot, but it was so well written. And uh, we had such a great time, the six of us. There were no fragile egos there, mm-hmm. and we were cancelled twice. We all didn't know if we were ever going to be picked up in the next season and I was able to go off and do the Rambos and you know mm-hmm. do the karate Kid movies during the hiatus and um it it was it was really interesting, you know uh, because the writing was so good, and the issues were taking from things basically subject matter in the New York Times mm-hmm. you know. Uh, on the other end of the country, yeah, and so, you know, it was just great. It was really good. Quite contrary to what I'd been used to doing, which was more physical and action movies, mm-hmm. and and television shows. So, you know, um, yeah, I think it was a co- about a year after uh, the show was done. It was '89, and I met a black tie affair on Charlie Bronson's there, mm. and I, and I actually had done White Buffalo with him. 1976, and uh, I walked up to him and I said, Charlie, you remember me from White Buffalo? And he says, sure, I remember you. You're still doing that series with them girls. (laughs) 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 So I said, Cagney and Lacey? He said, yeah. It's my favorite show. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yes. That's awesome.
0: Oh, that's great. I mean, you know what the chances, right? Of right. Had. Charles Bronson, like oh. you know, eighties all things man show stuff. You know, movies, and he's like, that's my show. Oh, that's great. I, you know,
1: you know, you know, Charlie Bronson was doing guest stars in the mid fifties and did the first series, Man with a Camera, mm-hmm. which was you know fifty seven, fifty eight, and then you know we all remember him. First, seeing him basically Magnificent Seven, and then it was, you know, after that was history. But, you know, he was a really nice guy, and I had a good time with him. Yeah.
0: And uh,
1: for him to be a fan of Cagney and Lacey, that's awesome. Blew me away. Yeah. You know,
0: that's great. So I'm picking up one music's a big deal to you, like when it comes to movies and soundtrack, and then this Cagney and Lacey. So we we were digging out and we were listening to the Cagney and Lacey theme song. Like, uh, I'm going to refresh your memory. As So, like, I, I, maybe this is just a, a non-thing, but that seems like such a crazy song for that show. Like, it, it was like the saxophone. Or whatever. Like, is there is there any inside track? Did you guys ever talk about that? You like, know who wrote that?
1: Who wrote it? Bill Conti. Okay, all right. And Bill
0: Conti, you know, did
1: so that was 82 right Yeah. so that was 82 so Rocky came out in 76, 77 uh huh so he had done that and everybody you know the Rocky thing you know was all over the place and um Carol she's um uh she co-wrote she wrote it actually Mm -hmm. she sings it and um uh they just chose him, and Barney Rosenzweig, who was in the business a long time, mm-hmm. and he was the producer and the creator, and Barbara Corday, who was his wife at the time, they just nursed Cagney and Lacey, you know, for years before we got it on the air.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And they wanted the best, so they, you know, and Bill Conti loved the, the pilot, it was a two-hour pilot. And we went through, I think Meg Foster did four shows, and yep. they changed Cagney to Sharon Glass, mm-hmm. and then we got canceled even again after 22 shows and then there was a big write-in campaign because people were as you said before people were not ready for two women mm. very little action every time every time we read action on that show at the read through cuz we'd have a read through of, mm-hmm. of the script before we shot it every time we read action and it was always me it was going to cool action <laughs> we we Shoot, shoot the show, and when we shoot the action, it was written out as if it happened already. Okay. So I was instead of catching the perp running around, yeah, which was kind of cool, you know, I was in the back seat with him, you know, going to the <laughs> just skip right forward, <laughs> yeah, it just skip the whole thing. <laughs> so you know, I was kind of robbed on that show left and right. But mm-hmm. the quality of the work and the camaraderie that went on, and I went on doing a movie, White Light, with Al Waxman, who played Lieutenant right. Samuel. Yeah. Yeah. He directed me in a movie, White Light, up in Canada. And I had a great time. It was a romantic lead and, you know, it was really a lot of fun. Great people. Yeah. Great
0: people. It was a great show. I, I remember watching it and I've up in that time and I remember watching Cagney Lacey. So, but, but rewind. So, we'll talk about the Karate Kid canon as it exists, you know, one, two, and three. And now we've got Cobra Kai. We talked a little bit about this and I don't know if we got it in the feature episode. But you found yourself in a role that was delivering iconic lines, like lines that would be matched up with other iconic lines in film history. You know, when we think about iconic lines, what, what do you think about? Um, there's no place like home. Uh, oh, frankly, yeah. dear. Yeah, right? Make my day. Make my day, and... Sweep the leg. There it is. Yes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Sweep the leg.
0: If It's not even up there. It's part of the greatest lines from films. and. You, you had no idea at the time. No idea. No no mercy.
1: Mercy is for the weak. Yeah. You know, um, wax on, wax off. All of that. You know, I remember, I remember, riding in Atlanta, like sixty thousand people in a parade, and Ralph and I sitting in the back of a. Billy wasn't there. It was Ralph and I sitting in the back of a convertible. And all these people are screaming, No mercy, sweep the lake. Mercy is for the weak. And they're all screaming. Super
0: exhilarating things this year. And
1: then then Ralph Ralph turns to me and says, He says, You know, I'm the star of this movie. I never hear anybody scream, Wax on, Wax off. (laughs) 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 And I I cracked that, but I thought it was very funny, you know.
2: we We talk about that a lot now. I was looking on Amazon for some shirts, and there was your face on a shirt, and it says "Sweep the leg" underneath it. I mean, yeah. that's got to be crazy ha- having your face on a shirt with lines uh, that you I, delivered. I, I mean, I I
1: never knew much about that until I think it was a it was an autograph show or a personal appearance in um, in New York, and it was my first autograph show I ever went to, a personal appearance deal, and it was. Um, uh, it was, I can't remember the name now, but, it, and I I was there with the cast of Last House on the Left. a uh, mm-hmm. Crazy horror movie. Yeah. In yeah, 1972, I think. And they weren't selling anything, but I was selling some f- photographs from mm-hmm. Karate Kid. Mm-hmm. And kids would come up with the shirts on. This goes back 10 years. And kids would come back with, the, come up with the shirts on in my face, and they'd know every line I ever said. Mm. And I never realized that fans really, in this movie, in Karate Kid. I mean, I just didn't think about it. They really nursed all the dialogue, and they knew every line about this character, John Kreese, who became monumental to them. Mm. For me, when we did the movie, it was just another heavy. Yeah. You know, I never knew that these lines were going to be, I never thought, we we always had a problem with the title, so it of like a Bruce Lee movie, mm-hmm. <laughs> nobody knew we were going to go into this space, and 35 years later, work together again, mm. you know, but it was all in the writing, the writing was terrific, Kamen did a great job, Robert Kamen, mm-hmm. you know, he endorses these three writers, you know, Josh Yield and... and um, and uh, uh, John Hurwitz and Hayden Schlossberg, and he, you know, he loves their work, and he's, you know, he's a terrific writer himself, Robert Kamen I mean, all the Taken movies and everything, and yeah. he wrote all three Karate Kid. Very, very articulate. So, you know, it's kind of interesting. Those words come up. You don't think about them. Yeah, they come up every day. You yeah, know, I, I, I'll press a button to get into a building that I don't know who the security guard is, and all of a sudden over the voice box, who goes, no mercy. <laughs> <laughs> <On an elevator. laughs> For my character, he just never wanted to twinkle. He never wanted me to smile. He wanted mm. stoic death. Mm. So I gave him stoic death. Nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think we talked about that, how
2: you don't react when things are good and you don't react when things are bad.
1: Yeah, that's what we talked about yeah. that in the dojo. Yeah, and, and you know, because there's a lot of transitional things in season two f- for John Kreese. Mm-hmm. And uh, I guess it, it paid off. Because yesterday, I got this fr- in the email, and it was a, um, um, my son sent it to me. that YouTube Originals, the original series Cobra Kai, is the most in-demand digital original series in the world, according to Parrot, Analytics and Parat Analytics does you know they do all. It's sort of like the Nielsen rating. Right. You know, Mm -hmm. I couldn't believe it. That means that the only we go past all the people on Hulu and Netflix. Mm -hmm. That means that the only the only competition we have is Game of Thrones. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, all all this from a Bruce Lee movie. You know, yeah. from 19, you know, and our they saw it when they were six. Yeah, right. Our writers. Right, yeah. They saw this movie when they were six. Yep. Nursed it for years and years and came up with it. And um, it's all fascinating. I mean, is there ever a phenomenon in, you know, when people talked, my friends, you know, Sly Stallone, and, you know, they wanted Jimmy Kahn for the role and he said, no, I'm going to do it. And, the rest became history, mm. you know? And there's so many mm-hmm. stories like that firing Spielberg twice from Jaws. Right. And then it becomes the first movie to, you know, mm-hmm. come close to 100 million in yeah. 77. I mean, those things, every Casablanca has got so many stories of it being, you know, basically structured as a B movie in 1941, uh, 42. And then all of a sudden, in 41, when they made it, Pearl Harbor was uh, the following day after it was. It, he, I think it was um, 1940. It was 41 and December 6th because I'm reading this book about it. And you think of all the phenomenons of cinema. They couldn't cast it. They couldn't. They offered it to so many people. Nobody wanted to do it. it was a B movie about some guy in a little cafe. Mm-hmm. And uh, they, you know, uh, Ingrid Bergman didn't even like the script much, and she was loaned from another studio. Boom. All of a sudden, the war happens. Pearl Harbor bombs us. The next day, day. it gets greenlit, and they have a struggle finding wood to build Rick's Cafe because there was a moratorium on wood. Mm -hmm. Wow. Gets the green light, starts shooting in in May, six months later, and it wins at the box office because when it came out, it it was nationalism. Mm -hmm. All the European actors on there were running from... The Nazis, oh, right? Five years earlier, and um, we still couldn't have those big floodlights in front of the theater because they were still afraid. It was nineteen forty-two. Yeah. They were still afraid that the Japanese, you know, Japanese were going to bomb L.A. Mm. So they had to limit those big, you know, wild, floodlights. Yeah, yeah. I mean, all these great stories yeah. of every phenomenal, phenomenally successful movie. Every one of those films has a great story of. Nobody. Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Same thing. I mean, yeah, yeah. Special effects movies aren't in, but we like it. We'll do it. You know? But one of the unique things about Karate Kid is that it's not only a classic, but you got to come back 30 years later
2: and recreate that character. Yeah. And I mean, that has to be a unique.
1: Situation. It yeah, doesn't Cacking happen often. It, it never has happened. Yeah. You know. I mean, <laughs> I, I make. You know, as a, as a film person, I I make a study of what movies went from cinema to mm-hmm. series, and very few. Mash did and sustained eleven years, but it was a whole different cast. Mm-hmm. You know, and there were very few. They tried to make. You know, I think they called it Rick's Cafe uh, when David Soul tried to do. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, Casablanca as a series, and. Uh, even Karate Kid was deemed as a series early on. They, it doesn't make it because they try to do things too much like the show, mm-hmm. like the film, like mm-hmm. the classic. The great thing about Cobra Kai is that it's you know it's all new people. They're all gray. They're not black and white. And it's all different stories, and all the characters have great arcs. Mm-hmm. So these writers just wrote what they wanted to do as if mm-hmm. the show continued. Mm-hmm as if the show literally had its own life, as if the movies literally had their own life afterwards. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They weren't just a new installment of mm-hmm. the Karate Kid. You know yeah. Right. And Same I think,
2: timeline, people love the timeline thing, right? Yeah. Like you said, that your character continued to exist. So John Kreese, uh, where's he been? What's he been doing? Yeah. you know, And that's, that's, I mean, yeah, people love that. And that's what's so cool too, is that you know, it went from movie to series instead of maybe the usual series to movie, mm-hmm. right? So like your Dukes a Hazard, right? They may try to make a movie out of yeah, you know, out of an old series, you know. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Or Miami that, Vice,
1: you know, Miami Vice, like, yeah, a lot, a lot of that stuff.
2: Yeah, um, but yeah, I mean, this is cool. It's a series from a movie and it's the right time right place and people can binge it and they can invest in the characters and it's just in it always feels like a long version of a really long movie right i mean each episode going into the next
0: yeah well and i think like you keep you keep talking about i mean these guys did it right uh you know i i'm i'm just gonna assume everybody that's listening and watching has seen season one if you haven't go watch it on youtube premium uh but the fact that you show up at the end, that was just brilliant. Like, had you shown up any sooner, it wouldn't have been right. But just the fact that you showed up when you did and and it's like this mic drop, like, (laughs)
1: like, wait, what? They thought we were done. But now they see that the real story's only just begun. (laughs) What
2: was it like when you got the call
0: for that? I mean, did you, was it like, okay, I got to do, I got
2: to fill in some backstory or?
1: Well, it it was, it it really, it was a lunch, you know, the writers had lunch with me and they said, we'd like you to come in episode 10. And I said, season one. I said, why can't I come in episode five?
0: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, as long as we're talking. Yeah, (laughs) you know, I mean.
1: And and they said no 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 you're going to set up season two and you'll be a regular in the show, season two season three and I said okay, and I agreed to it because they had a perception of our characters mm-hmm. and they were so well perceived by them mm-hmm. and they were they were so persuasive and they knew what they wanted to do. It's the same reason Billy and Ralph agreed because that was a couple of months earlier, and. Um, they just knew what they were doing. They mm-hmm. had time to nurse this. And they're three, as we talked about before. They call themselves nerds. I don't think of them as nerds. Mm-hmm. They're just really studied individuals that know film. Yeah, And they just get it right. There's full, there are full arcs to all the characters. Yep. Everybody's gray, not mm-hmm. black and white like in the movies. Mm-hmm. And everybody's flawed. And then in season two, you get a chance to see exactly what goes on with John Crease? And they said they'd write him in season two with lots of texture, lots of color. And I said, okay, I'll, I'll go for it. And sure enough, when I did, you know, walk into that dojo and, you know, I, I was nervous. Am I going to live up to what I did 30 years ago? You mm. know, I, and first rehearsal, I, I walk with a cigar and they wrote a cigar. I don't know either. <laughs> they wrote a cigar and I, li- I like. Cuban cigars you know I think they're great you know cigars are nice they relax me and um I walk up in first rehearsal and I walk up to my mark and I, I say you know the real story has only just begun and I take a puff on the cigar and I hear from the other end of the studio oh.
2: <laughs> yes, you know
1: and it was the first rehearsal so I thought, oh, God, I must be doing something right. It's okay. I, can, you know, I did it right. I nailed <laughs> I it. Nail it. <laughs> I, I nailed it. You know. And from then on, it was just history. And all these guys, they were waiting, and the crew was waiting because mm-hmm. I found everybody to be big fans who worked on the crew. Mm-hmm. So when I introduced myself, just coming for a couple of days, you know, I they were so good. They were shooting the tournament scene that week, mm-hmm. which is the final episode of season one, and they made me stay in my room. I couldn't go out of my room because they didn't want anybody seeing me mm. in all right of in Atlanta. Atlanta. Oh, love yeah. that, you know. So See, and that,
2: that that authenticity that um, translates, I think people pick up on it subconsciously. 100%. That authenticity of making sure that, that that the environment
0: is reacting to you is is real. Yeah, I, sure. people love that. I never mm-hmm. thought about that. You feel and it. it and it, that's what I think transcends camera and all like when, like, so I'm saying when I'm watching it and I'm like, Oh my gosh, like there's, there's tons of thought and work put into that. And the people that experience there, it transcends the lens and it, it, you feel it whether you're watching it on TV or your computer or not. It just, as I said, it was like, that was perfect. You know? Well, if I were to ask you
2: a couple of years ago when I didn't know you, but if I were to ask you that, or what, what you would think about your face being painted on a side of a building? <laughs> what, 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 what would you, where would you go with that? <laughs> like, would you believe it? Would you be
1: like, yeah? I would it's think that some um, serial killer who's <laughs> in, in love with me is doing it, <laughs> Here, and uh, then he's gonna haunt me. You're <laughs> absolutely right. <That's> exactly <laughs> <like>. <laughs> call call the police. Call now, <laughs> the police. I mean, you know. It's interesting. It's really fascinating. I don't take any of it for granted because, mm. as a, you know, it was pretty exciting in the '80s when it all happened, and you, I was just going from one deal to another. But then, you look at it differently. You know, in those days, you're young and you think it's not going to end, which are some of the things that young actors think that they do a series and all of a sudden they're going to be just, you know, they're going to be Steve McQueens. It it, it often ends. And the thing is to nurse one's career and to keep going to class and doing stuff. And, you know, you may not get the deal right after your series, as good as your series or a role. But the bottom line is you got to keep working and doing things. Mm. So I took it all with a grain of salt. I take it all with a grain of salt now. In the 80s, I just always felt, oh, it's never going to end. Marty Cove, you know, this arrogant actor who's... I don't feel that way anymore. Mm. You, know, you just you have a family. You know, I, I got, I had twins and took the focus off of the business enough for me to realize and take a, a real look at what show business is all about. Mm-hmm. And you know, you, you really reevaluate a lot of things. You really do. And then if you can get a chance to, you know, have it rejuvenated like like you know, Travolta did in Pulp yeah. Fiction. Sure. You can bet your life that he handled things differently after Pulp Fiction sure. than he did when he did, you know, Saturday Night Fever. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, and it was a period of basically twenty years, mm-hmm. kind of like you know, similar to what I did here. And um, you know, I think if you get caught up in seeing your face on a wall. Or just because she, you know, we got good. We haven't gotten any bad reviews, mm. so it's not a matter of reviews. But I don't believe any actor should get wrapped up in external gratification, because mm-hmm. that's what that's what ends up just making you, you know, believe your own press releases, yeah. and then all of a sudden you start thinking there's a halo around your head, mm-hmm. and there isn't. Right. Is you know? John
2: Grease gonna learn some of those same
1: lessons? <laughs> According to John Kreese, he's already learned all you can learn <laughs> about life. Yeah, in fact, you know, the, John Kreese feels that you know they're missing out and not doing a Bible about him. <laughs> the Gospel of John, Kreese. Yes, <laughs> exactly right. Do you have him show up to contract negotiations when <laughs> you? John Kreese does, he does show up, you know. <laughs> and my kids can, you know, and, <laughs> they <get a> <laughs> <laughs> and my girlfriend, you know, she she looks and she sees it, she sees it, Mary sees it, you know, Mary's very kind and sweet and loves everybody and very good businesswoman and all, and but calm. When I get a phone call and I have to deal with American Express, <laughs> you know, and it's it, outsources me to India or, or Philippines. It's not a matter of, I, I, I've made movies in both places, and people are the greatest. But when you have a, an issue, and you're really trying to make sure people understand you, you can be talking to someone in Des Moines, it doesn't matter. <laughs> and so John Crease, and if they don't get it, John Creese comes up. <laughs> John Crease John, John just comes up. Um, I can feel it. <laughs> no, no twinkle. There's no twinkle. <laughs> and I have to go into another room <laughs> I have to I feel it in my eyes I feel it all oh, over my hands I give you. a John Kreese comes up and if Mary watches it she just looks you know Then <laughs> there's always you know she'll always say to give me a lesson
0: about humanity <laughs> once I hang up the phone you know. That's, <laughs> John Kreese then gets a Miyagi in Mary oh <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. You, a friendly Miyagi a friendly Miyagi guy who doesn't want to kill me and hurt my nose <laughs> you know yeah, uh,
1: I hated that scene, tweaking my nose. I mean, uh, I think I hated it as an actor, and I hated John Kreese certainly hated. For sure, uh, right? You know, but um, yeah, it's 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 really he he does come up, and I wasn't aware until Cobra Kai. I really wasn't aware of it until I watched a lot of those scenes in regard to body language and behavior, and I watched a lot of that stuff. And um, he, as you say, he was pretty unemotional. Towards his his students being triumphant, or if they lost, he didn't like them losing. But he was it was a, it was just a modicum of mm-hmm. difference there. You know, it, mm-hmm. it it's it's kind of interesting. You know, you looking back at that, and that's why everybody thought he was a bad guy. Yeah, because he wasn't really emotional about good or bad. Uh, more emotional about bad than good. Mm-hmm. But it was a very fine line. And uh, he isn't pure bad. He's just a guy who really has certain values. And we explore these values in Cobra Kai, mm-hmm. you know, where we didn't get a chance to explore those values. You just saw, a, you know, a dark, dark sensei, you know. Mm-hmm. Who, if his students didn't win, then they should be completely removed from the planet and dust to be sprinkled in the ocean. Yeah. That is not what this
0: character is about. Yeah, the show. well, it's interesting that you say that because I know, you know, you know, the the ending of of Karate Kid One changed to to the freeze frame on Miyagi versus carrying it back out into the parking lot where two picked up. And I don't know all the ins and outs of that, but even to hear kind of how you're describing it makes it the fact that everyone else in that movie was conflicted except John Kreese. Like, you know, at the end, even. Uh, Johnny feels bad you know he's you know, raising the thing man this is you and all that kind of stuff but the one person who is not conflicted and we really don't get a follow up on in that moment is John Creese. but through the whole movie there's been no conflict in John Kreese it's this is it no mercy this is the so I, I always have, knowing that that was the additional or that was going to be the ending I always appreciated that it wasn't because then we didn't have to see that moment of the the you know
2: and with that clarity do you feel like it's easier or
1: funner to play a dark hat than a white hat that question comes up often i don't know when i did Steel justice this movie i did and it was a poor man's rambo it was fun it's a lot more responsibility Mm -hmm. and um as an actor um i remember i was taking scenes every time i did a scene in that movie because it was my first romantic lead kind of character aside this other movie i did white light that al waxman directed mm-hmm. that was a few years earlier but i remember nick nolte telling me he you know what he does is he takes the scenes from everybody all the different characters and puts them in progression so he, you know, he has two scenes with that female lead. He'll put them right in a row on a wall mm-hmm. on index cards and go right down. It doesn't matter where they are in the, in the movie. He just takes them. And the same thing with, you know, the man who owns the store, the, the grocery store. He'll put them there in a vertical line and watch how he emotionally grows with each time he sees that person. His emotional situation has changed. And um, it was very interesting, and I did that, you know, with – with um, Steel Justice and White Light, and it was—it proved to me what a big—you know—you have to really when you know you play these leads and you know the characters like Gregory Peck doing To Kill a Mockingbird, you know, you know, or or Brennan Brynner, in Magnificent Seven—two ends of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. You got to entertain your relationship with everyone mm. to a much greater depth. When you're a heavy, I think you're in more of your own world. You're, everybody's got to conf- everybody's got to conform to you, because you're a violent person. You 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 control the negativity in this project, and everything. Everybody's trying to find out more about you than you are about them, mm-hmm. because you're, you know, they're in conflict figuring out what are we going to do or their lives are at stake. So if you're playing a villain, you know, you are imparting information on those people because you're a threat. Yeah. You know, they've got to find out who you are yeah. and what you're going to do next. Same with, you know, with with John Crease in the series people don't know. So when I go to <laughs> when I go to it was where was it, Austin and we did the world the world uh, Premiere there, and every time I came out, didn't matter what I was thinking as the actor. But every Mm -hmm. time I came out, it was, oh, (laughs) (laughs) I could have come out with a smile, it would have been, oh, (laughs) you know, what's he, what's he gonna do now? Yeah, right. You know, and I don't know why that is. I really don't. You know, I mean, it's just because the character is just, yeah, right. You know, and um. It's fascinating, it's all fascinating because it's the legend of the bad guys who are very interesting. Do I like playing them more than some of the leading men? Um, No, I don't like them any more, but I I don't like them any less, Mm -hmm. you know. I try to, you know. Most interesting bad guy I can remember was two characters, Stefan Waltz in um, in uh, *Inglorious Bastards. Mm-hmm. He was just Goodness the sweetest, oh. char- charming. Yeah. And um, Klaus Maria Brandauer in a Bond movie. And these were just, you know, just swarming. Oh yeah. But interesting and charming, and then you really, you kind of liked them, and then until they turned dark. Yeah, then you realize, wait a second. Wait a second. <laughs> and that's the art of playing, I think, a bad guy, is to go how much, compared to your other roles, how far can you go in being likable and charming and lovable before you clamp the people in the vice?
0: Right, yeah, you know yeah you've mentioned a couple Tarantino films, uh, and if I'm not mistaken you're you're coming up in once upon a time in Hollywood, right? Yeah, yeah. How was that?
1: Oh yeah, well, the bottom line was I said to him, you know did you, did you ask me to play this part because I've been bugging you for three years or because I'm hot from Cobra Kai?" And he says, Takes a long pause and says, "A little bit of both." <laughs> <laughs> so ridiculous. I had the greatest time on the set, and um, you know, it, it, which he does with everybody. You know, he he, he treats everybody so well. <clears throat> and there's about a hundred people in the crew, and he says, "You know, I think I've got it, Martin, but I, I want another one. I'm going to take another one." And he says, "And why?" And he turns around to the to the entire crew, and they say in unison. Because we love to make movies. (laughs) So, this is the best guy to work for because he just loves, he knows everything about your career anyway. But he makes great pictures and, you know, he directs so well and knows what he wants and everything. And now the movie's in Cannes. And this VFW, the movie I did with, I just got an email that that, that's going to be in Cannes, different kind of, different category. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I, I remember going to Canon being in movies that I didn't think were so great. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> now I've got you know limited amount of work with DiCaprio and I I would just love to be there you know yeah. because working for that director is is great you know John mm-hmm. Avildsen was great and Larry Kasdan and Wyatt Earp was great you know I mean you think about it, you, you you know as an actor you keep moving on from project to project and you forget I don't look back on my shelf and say well there's all these movies on my vhs collection Mm -hmm. you don't go back and you just move forward Mm -hmm. and i think what's interesting is if i learned to go back a little bit and have you know a a sense of what i've accomplished i'd feel better about the next project Mm. but the next project is the same kind of work that you did five projects before yeah just because you have a bunch of movies or a bunch of plays that you've done it doesn't mean you can lighten up for the next one
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know and so all one focuses on keeping the health appropriate and playing
0: with the grandchildren and you know yeah hanging with my kids right and you know this is a we hear this uh, the more and more we talk to people in the business and actors working actors that there's this like you said there's this this catch of like looking back and like oh well uh we had talked to one who was one person who had said you know every every job was what I was going to be able to do next am I going to be able to buy a house am I going to be able to do this and so I don't really think about what just happened I'm actually having to think about what's next because I got to pay the bills or I got to make the car payment or I got to do all this and then uh but then you're you're also inserting the and I've got to make the right time and margin to be present and enjoying what I have and enjoying who's who's on it with me, family and friends, and, and so it seems like a it's a challenge to try to do all of that, and like you said, now you're entering this like looking back and appreciative season of like, wow, I've, I've, I've actually done some pretty awesome things, and not to take it for granted. I mean, who else can say they've been beat
2: up by Rambo? <laughs> You or know. punched Kevin Costner. <laughs> or punched Kevin
1: Costner. You want to hear a great Rambo story? Yes, we. Of course, we do. I get a call, in September. They want me to read, and I hope the director's listening. <laughs> they want me to read for Rambo, the new one. Mm-hmm. So I say, I say to my manager, I say, why do I have to read? I didn't read in in when I did Karate Kid. I was, you know, shuttled right into that movie because. It was, an, I read it, it was 85 pages of Mayhem, and I'm on the set of Cagney and Lacey, and I figured I gotta follow up Karate Kid with some hit in the movie, so I agreed to do it. And I didn't read for it then, and I'm really not available, probably, to do this movie, because it's shot in the time we're doing Cobra Kai s- season two. And um, also, why do I have to read? Mm-hmm. I said, I'm a friend of you, of Sly. You know, why do I have to read? So I, I call Stallone and I leave a message. And I say, all well, these three things. I'm probably not available. I didn't read for you in karate, after Karate Kid in 1983, 84. And number two, I'm a personal friend of yours. So Why do I have to read? And he says, he calls me back and he says, and I love this message, I still I kept it. He says, Marty, I don't think you should read. I don't think you know how to read. <laughs> you're, you're like me, we use smoke signals. <laughs> I died I, I actually oh, died so I was dying I, I play it You know Just for my agent And stuff Because I, I just think It's classic <laughs> I don't think You know how to read and He's right I hate auditions yeah. it, it you he, know how he, how He's read. the best He's so funny That's so So cool. funny Did you Did I tell you story? Uh, the story uh, The Hitting uh, Kevin Cousins No And <laughs> wider No So you know As we grow up We have these sound effects That we do Every time we punch people mm-hmm. You know
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That kind of stuff <laughs> yeah, right? yeah
1: yeah yeah and so we're doing the scene, and it's my first scene of a couple in that movie, and you know, and I and, I, and I grab him and I hit him, and there's this sound. The sound man keeps complaining, and everything's on cue, but every time I hit him, there's this, <laughs> like that, and I have I have always done that as a kid, <laughs> you know, oh, no. and I and I I. I I realize after two takes, they're complaining, where's that sound coming from? The sound man's going nuts, the director hears it, <laughs> and you know Kevin hears it, and we're looking around "Where's it, because as I'm bringing my arm around my mouth to hit him, you yeah. can't see it. Oh. You can't see I'm doing it. <laughs> so it's this sound coming from the universe. Oh,
0: that's so amazing. And then I
1: realize, after two takes, it's me. <laughs> <laughs> and I say, oh my god, I, I'm gonna, everybody's there. Kasdan, every, the director, the producer, everybody. And Kevin's there, and I, should I be honest and say it? So I try one more take, <laughs> and I blow it. I, got, I couldn't bite my lip, so I, <laughs> the sound of, you know, whatever I say in the line, then I go, and I make the sound. So they're all going crazy, and then I realize, I said, all right guys, I think it's me. And so I'll bite the side of my lip, and they all just cracked up hysterical, <laughs> <laughs> because they. Kevin says, said, "Well, I used to do that. I used to slap my chest every time I hit somebody, you mm-hmm, know." Mm-hmm. And he says, "We all make that sound. It's okay. Just don't do it again." <laughs> so no, Larry said that. So I said, oh, "Okay." Great. So I said, "You know, a bit to the side of my mouth and I did the punch, and you know, it, it worked out great." And you twice cost me money
0: so I didn't like the
1: decision. <laughs> yeah, oh, that's but so funny. that's a funny story, you know, and I thought, wow, the kind of, I mean, it's a big studio movie. God, you know, Larry, they don't have the time for this nonsense, and they just left. They just left because they do it themselves. That's amazing. Know, as a child. Yeah. And I'm still a child doing a Western. Anytime I go to do a Western, I'm always a child. You know, that's why Gunsmoke was so much fun. Yeah. You were like, you know, living... Gunsmoke was on 20, 22 years. Oh yeah, long And You are show. part of that legacy. Yep. Oh man. And you know, I never. I don't think I even took lunch. I actually b- mm. borrowed the horses and galloped around. Wow. Just to
0: be more yeah. part, part know? of movie history or yeah. television history. Man, yeah, it's one of the legends. Martin, we cannot thank you enough for stopping by and hanging out with us. This has been great to talk movies, to talk your career, to talk Cobra Kai, which is like just in this upswing of amazing... uh, I don't even know how to describe it right now. Like you said, it's becoming the most watched, and it's showing no signs of slowing down, which is super great for fans like me and all of us here of of, uh, Karate Kid and everything that it's meant to us over the years. So we're thrilled for all of that and what's to come so we're excited for that thank you thank and you and of course for once upon a time in hollywood uh is it called vfw is that what uh, the VFW, vfw yeah VFW. okay it,
1: it, you know sure for veterans of foreign wars but that's what it's called vfw
0: because it all takes place in one location there uh just grateful for the time the chance we had to be together and we are more than thrilled and excited about what's ahead so thanks again marty for joining us appreciate your time everybody thanks for joining us here on the beyond the backlot podcast from all the crew here be sure to watch us on youtube check us out on facebook as well as instagram at beyond the backlot and we look forward to showing more of what we see beyond the backlot to you we'll see you soon